greetings and welcome to another episode of Shabam! The Dojo Podcast! Those of you who are watching on video will notice that Frank has a new shirt. He finally changed his shirt. That's right, our friends at Single Speed Screen Printing um, hooked us up with these beautiful shirts based on kind of the modified logo for the Diojo podcast. We're always moving, shaking, mixing things up. Um, if you by chance want to purchase one of those bad boys, uh, let us know. We don't, you know, have a formal process right now, so send an email or a DM and we'll figure it out because <laughs> there's no Diojo podcast store yet. <laughs> Why would we do that? Anyways, uh, <coughs> excuse me, not Corona. Stop pooping. Um, recently, I had a piece published in, with the insurance nerds. That's insnerds.com. Um, a really cool community of um, you know various uh, people within the insurance hemisphere. Um, some great concepts and ideas and um you know keep you on on your toes but uh we published with them the role of the workplace in elevating justice so the subline is by focusing on what we can do from where we are we can make changes that lead to better long-term outcomes for all so um it's a, a bit of a long article you know so those of you who you know, don't like reading long things, probably will hate it. But um, I wanted to highlight one thing. It's funny, in the discussion about um, minimum wage, right? Federal-based minimum wage. Um, I think too often business owners and managers get a pass on the discussion of living wages because we join the war of words over federal and state minimum wages. So that's a mouthful. But Businesses have the immediate authority and responsibility to determine whether their wages are providing their team members with living wages in relationship to their market. Um, I got a big eye-opener moving, moving from Eugene to Seattle on you know um, the scale of wages, uh, cost of living, and those kinds of things. And so it's always interesting. We say all the time in our industry you know, where $15 an hour is becoming the minimum wage in many places. And if you want to argue or fight against it, I think you're fighting a losing battle. Um, especially if someone can flip burgers for 15 bucks an hour, as opposed to crawling through a crawl space filled with poop uh, for the same amount, you know, we're going to have to figure some things out to stay competitive. And so, um, you know, um, how many are asking what they can do, you know, come up with simple options, ways of incentivizing, um, you know, Skylar Lewis talked about that, uh, what that was episode 19 talked about, um, unique ways to get your team engaged and compensate them clearly. Um, and a lot of our other guests have talked about different ways of doing that. And so, um, it's, it's, if you think it's crazy, so this is the part I wanted to get to, if you think it's crazy, there is a CEO, Dan Price, in Seattle. So they're, uh, the company's called Gravity Payments. And so they process payments, many of them for like restaurants and those kinds of things. Um, so he developed a company that uh, tries to get lower rates and fees for companies that process a lot of payments. But he 
um, I think the average wage in this company, if I remember right, in the Inc. article, Inc. magazine article, you know, was somewhere in the 50K range. Um, but when he sat down with his employees, he realized that wasn't getting it done. And so he made a decision, not a large company. He was making 1.1 million a year, which, you know, sounds amazing. But he decided to cut his own salary as the CEO and founder down to $70,000 annually so that he could raise the minimum wage in his own company, not to $15 an hour, but to 70 k Now, just for $15 an hour is what, $31,200 if I remember correctly? So seventy k uh, annual um, minimum wage in the company. And so Inc. Magazine does a great write-up on how this extreme change invigorated the team and led to soaring profits. It's crazy. Uh, take care of your people. They take care of the company, right? And some people complain, oh, well, that's not been my experience. You know, you might want to dig a little deeper there. Uh, so we're going to start with your last name and then your first name, your middle initial. My last name, like from my name from before, was old Stevie. Now my grown-up name is Dr. Stephen Brule. Okay. Um, because often, you know, um, what you think is really treating people great may not be as great as you think. So just, you know, I mean, uh, this change was pre-COVID-19. What's interesting is to read how their company uh, pivoted. I don't want to, we're short for time, but um, I link in the article. Again, this is the role of the workplace in elevating justice on insurancenerds.com. Um, what they chose to do as a company in response to COVID so that everybody could keep their jobs is pretty amazing. Talk about employee engagement, investment in the company, and um, leading by example. It, um, so if you think 15 bucks an hour is crazy, uh, damn price is going to blow your mind. So, um, But uh, we have the opportunity today we're going to get somebody from the other side. That's right. In the insurance property restoration, insurance claims paradigm, right? We have the contractor. And of course, we're kings of the hill, right? I mean, we're the pros. Everybody's got to listen to us. But in that paradigm, you have the, the contractor, the client, and the carrier, right? And usually the carrier's rep is someone called the adjuster. So... Uh, we've got an adjuster, an independent adjuster. What does it mean to be independent? It means you're not captive. What does it mean to be captive? You only work for one company. Independents work for multiple companies. Um, you know, just a little spoiler alert. Oftentimes you talk to adjusters and they're not very big fans of the programs just as much as many contractors are not. So just to give you an idea, we may be a little closer to um, the same then we are different you know as, as many people have brought up so Kirk is actually a contributor to the book that we're releasing be intentional estimating it's coming out soon and he has a couple five simple keys to elevating your estimating games one if you are an adjuster ask a lot of questions two if you are a restorer ask a lot of questions three Nothing is better than rolling your sleeves up and doing some manual labor yourself. Four, get out in the field and observe restoration work being done. This goes for adjusters and restorers. And number five, reach out to your peers. Ask them to review your estimates and review theirs. You can learn from each other. Boom, boom. So there's some knowledge for you. Um, so about our guest, Kirk Matthews, 
is an experienced multi-line adjuster skilled in commercial, agribusiness, and residential property loss adjusting in a daily and catastrophe setting. True multi-line experience, including heavy equipment, auto, liability, casual, casualty, BI, etc. Strong ability to effectively management competing workflows effectively. Um, and he's the owner of Oregon Valley and Coastal Claim Service full-time. Um, he also works as an independent with Frontier Adjusters, was previously, when I met him, was a captive national catastrophe rep and regional field property rep for Travelers Insurance. And so he's got a wealth of experience both in the um, working directly for the carriers as well as working independently as an entrepreneur, um, you know, as an adjuster. Um, in my experience, one of the good ones, one of the ones that you can have a conversation with and really tries to uh, facilitate the loss within the realm of the claim, you know, to, to uh, service the client. So. You know, I think we've said before, if you're trying, it's it's our job to try to work with the carrier and the client to um, restore them to pre-loss conditions, no more, no less, right? If you're going above that or outside of that scope, you know, you're in the fraud territory. And if you're going under that scope, then you're shortchanging the client, you know? So um, I, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation as we talk about different approaches to the industry from on the Yojo Podcast. 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 <clears throat> All right, well, we are here with Kirk Matthews from Oregon Valley and Coastal Claim Services. That's a mouthful, Kirk. O-V-C-C-S, but it's very specific. So obviously you're in Oregon based out of Salem, right? But uh, that territory, what is your territory? Portland to the coast? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I... I um, Do you go I to Bend all that often? Almost never. Nice. Like almost never. It's, it just kind of seems like it's a different um, different world over there and there's a different set of people. I would, but, yeah, you know, yeah. my world is pretty much Portland to Eugene. Okay. And then... You know, once a month I'm in Longview. Once a month or twice a month I'm in Roseburg or Bandon. Oh, dang! Um, and kind of all over the coast and all over the valley. Uh, so, so mostly on the I-5 corridor. Mostly on I-5 corridor. Yeah. And so, for those that aren't familiar, sometimes you go up into southern Washington and then down almost to California, huh? Yeah. So I mean, really, I go about two hours north and two hours south. Yeah. Yeah. Two hours west i mean the coast is just kind of a different gig because yeah it's tough there's no direct route sometimes um yeah well i don't i don't recall are you originally i think you're not originally from oregon is that correct no i am oh yeah. okay okay what a weird thing you know when i i, I kind of lived all over i was on a cat team and i lived in the midwest and kind of right. have been you know, all over. But then when we found out we're having kids, ended up back in Salem, which if you're not from Oregon, Salem is, it's like, a, it's just a big government town, right? Yeah. There's Capital. A and safe. And that's, um, you know, nothing too exciting. Um, yeah. But it's been a real come up for my career, frankly, because I can go north to Portland and south to Eugene 
and yeah. like it's central for everything that I, I never really planned it that way, but it, it yeah. has worked out great. Yeah. Yeah. It's unique. And um, so in Washington, Olympia is further South than Tacoma and Seattle. Seattle is obviously the metro area and Salem and Oregon is kind of central to everything. So it's pretty unique yeah. in that way. Well, so that's what um, obviously you're an independent adjuster. So that means you're not tied specifically to a carrier, but when we met, you were working for, you were captive. Um, so I couldn't remember if you started in Oregon and then went on the road or went on the road and landed in Oregon. So let's, uh, let's get a little bit into your origin story. How did you get into the adjusting world? Sure. Um, you know, I never really, I, I, so I guess quit like quick way back, right? Like I, uh, I went to grew up in Oregon, went to the University of Oregon in Eugene. Nice. Graduated, uh, went to work for Enterprise Rent a Car. Okay. Did some things in there, but went to work for Enterprise Rent a Car. Was was with Enterprise for um, six or seven years, and um, you know, then there's a point where you need to kind of move on, and it seems like there's a lot of people, you know, I looked around and saw a lot of people going to work for insurance companies. At that time, I was working literally 70, 80 hours a week. Um, yeah. And the thought of an insurance company where you work 40 um, in, in an office all day long sounded delightful. <laughs> so, um, you know, and at that time, Travelers Insurance had just opened an office in um, Lake Oswego, which is pretty close to where I lived. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up working at Travelers in the auto uh, department, basically, okay. they, like taking phone calls, handling auto uh, claims, making like uh, not estimating autos, but making like liability decisions, okay. uh, auto accidents, and getting people paid for for that stuff. Um. And then, like, once, you know, once you're sitting there at an insurance company, I look around and I'm like, well, you know, after a year or two, I was kind of tired of sitting in the office. Sure. <laughs> you know, they started needing people for, um, to go on cat duty. You ready for the Woo! hurricane? So a lot of insurance companies um, train, kind of like cross-train different departments. Yeah. So somebody sitting at a desk handling auto claims gets trained on how to write a roof estimate. Okay. And then they get sent out to, you know, in my case, I went to Montana a lot uh, in a couple year period and, and wrote hail uh, claims. For Montana? I, I know Colorado's uh, got a lot of hail, but Montana does as it, well, huh? Yeah, Billings got hit really hard, like a, I think a couple years in a row. Huh. And, you know, before I even knew Xactimate, like I'm, I'm up on a roof creating like a diagram of the roof. Not, I think this is really before most of the roofing tools were there in Xactimate. Sure. I'm, I'm like pretty much just manually entering in all of the dimensions. Okay. And, you know, you know the the roof line items and putting it in there and issuing payments and and then um, going on with life. So, anyways, like I, I was volunteering to go on cat duty but for what that meant for me was they sent me to montana i lived in a hotel at the time i was single i just got divorced yeah i was like 
Femi to Montana, I'm more than happy to get Woo! out of town. Yeah. Right? Um, and then, you know, I, I didn't have, really have any background in property. And so then I just started, you know, doing, doing that more um, and then got hired from the auto department went to the property department okay. and then um, got all the training there. And what that meant was it's at the time it was like, I want to say eight or nine weeks of training in like this uh, huge, they call it claim university. It's huh. a great, they have a literally a, a house inside a warehouse, you know, like the farmer's commercials. Yep. It's, very similar to that, um, where you do, you know, a couple weeks of, of policy training and, and then several weeks of um, Xactimate training. And you learn all your materials and all your trades and, and all that stuff. Do and they do any kind of hands-on, like, deconstruction or dry out or putting no. things back together? Huh. Like, pretty much all of that. Yeah. They, they travelers. Yeah. Uh, having said that, you know, you get done and you think you're ready to go, but I really, <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, I would love to, to go back to that training now to like learn all the things that, yeah, uh, I didn't really pay attention to at that, at that point, you know, huh. but travelers, you know, I felt like they, they did a really great job of training me. They, you know, they, they, they got me probably, uh, you know, the, 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 the training that they gave me was probably equivalent to at least a level two certification in Xactimate. Okay. Um, easy. I mean, and I don't know what level three looks like, but, uh, that's where you can sketch spiral staircases. <laughs> I'm, and uh, to be honest, like I've never, sounded yeah. like, a, right? like yeah. can, is it really going to be accurate? Yeah. Like, spiral staircase in my estimate is going to be a bit item. So, I, I think this is a question that a lot of people have. Um, when we were talking about this a little bit offline, what's that? But another step. So then I was staffed uh, in Eugene or in Salem with uh, travelers, and then uh, I went to their CAT team, which is where at least people in the Northwest like you get a ton of exposure to kind of the world of property claims. Yeah. And, did that for a couple of years um, and then found out we were moving back to Oregon. Were you, uh, so were you um, um, drawing a blank on a word, like dispatched during any of the hurricanes? Is that like that level of cat? Were you out on like Sandy or something like that? So um, it was a weird two, it was like a weird two years. It was after Katrina Okay. I believe that Sandy, like I, Sandy was in New York, right? Yeah. 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 yeah Jersey. Jer Jersey and, and I think it started I going remember. south. I didn't go to Sandy. Okay. Uh, but I think because they, they actually just had enough people and they wanted to keep their cat team for someplace else. And also like I had two weeks of vacation plan. Okay. And like basically what happened was Sandy hit on, you know, you know, day one and I had vacation planned on day 15. 
Okay. And they didn't want to. They didn't want to send me someplace for 15 days and then have me go on vacation. And they yeah. try hard. Like honestly, it was just very lucky timing for me. Yeah. Um, other than that, like it was just a just a bunch of hail claims for those years. There wasn't really a hurricane that 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 summer. The next summer, um, at least that we went on. Right. So I did a bunch of hail, hail, wind. Uh, we were back more. up. Oh, nice. <laughs> Some more regional things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Okay, so so you got the cat team. Then you find out, uh, lo and behold, you got uh, baby on the way. That must have been. I don't remember if we met before you got, I think we met before you got pregnant. Like you were doing some local claims and, and then we, you'd be we, on the road for a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, we met when I was in Eugene uh, or with sorry, I, I, I lived in Portland, but I went to Eugene. Yeah. And it was before I went to the cat team. Yeah. And now for a not so subtle ad break. Hello and good morning or evening or wherever this finds you but um one thing you may or may not be aware of is that the diojo and even the diojo podcast started as more in the writing world if writing is a world, a new world. um but we uh specialize in written content and so you know, if you have either promotional content that you're trying to get out there, you need ghostwriting services, maybe for longer form articles or even books, um, or trying to get your content dialed in, even the wording on your website and some of your social media stuff, that's something the DOJO can assist with. Um, we've done that for several companies and people. Um, you know, even doing things like transcribing your YouTube videos into a written format so that you can present it um, to outlets within various industries. So if you've got something and you want to convert it into written format, um, either for promotional or literary outlets, let the Diojo help you out. Wow, what a totally amazing, excellent discovery not uh, as we've said before why write for yourself when you can pay someone else to do it right and then you can do the things that you more enjoy or specialize at and we our mediocre writers can help you you know get that content out there and also while we're talking about writing um happy glad to announce um we are releasing a book be intentional estimating Establishing the right mindset and habits for yourself and your team to succeed with estimating property insurance claims. That's a mouthful. But if you go to the website, thediojo.com, you can see under services, we got freelance writing. Under products, we got the book and um, thediojo.com. I'm not interested. Well, I guess there's a couple pieces there. I w we were talking a little bit offline with... Um, a lot of people, a lot of property restoration contractors have issues with adjusters. And sometimes what gets folded into that is really claims review, right? Or claims professionals. And I was thinking about that. I was telling you, I'm updating um, the 10 commandments of Xactimate success. And I was like, for people coming into the industry, and I think even people that are in it, they don't realize the difference between a claims reviewer, a claims pro, a desk adjuster, and an adjuster, right? So 
for an adjuster, you mentioned that eight to nine weeks of training, and then you actually, as a field adjuster, you're out looking at losses, and obviously, like you said, you learn more as you go. You know, what level, what is the difference in the level of training that an adjuster has and like a claims reviewer has? Do you, can you explain that from your side of the fence? Yeah, I mean, claim from, from what I've seen, um, at least, you know, at travelers and at two carriers that do claims reviews on me currently. Yeah. Claims reviewers are usually people are usually, you know, adjusters who have been in the, in the field for a long time. Uh, they're, and, and, and they're, they're there to kind of make sure that the estimating and everything is in line. The claims reviewer usually um, they usually have just just are kind of like old dogs. They've been around. They've been around for a really long time, and, and honestly, like they usually know what they're talking about. Um, for claims reviewers, that's been your experience with, yeah. Well, and we might not be talking about the same people. Claims reviewers, the people that that come behind an adjuster and review what the estimate that I write. Yeah. Those people usually know what they're talking about. If it's somebody sitting like. Well, I think I would call that a desk adjuster, right? Somebody that if it's going through a carrier that has, you know, well, I, I guess I could say there's, there's two sides of that. It can either go to a claim center that seems like it's staffed with people like you talked about that just got out of college and we're handed right. a script and it's like red line, all of these line items. Or sometimes you get like um, the, the claims reviewer and it, or a desk adjuster. And again, that could be, it seems like it's extremes. Either somebody that knows what they're doing and has had claims experience, you know, but maybe is, is running a team or, you know, kind of the kid that just has a script. <laughs> it's, so, it's such three-dimensional chess too, because there's yeah. so many other variables that come into it. A, it really depends on what company we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are some carriers that there are carriers that I don't, I won't work for. Yeah. Um, Carriers that that you know everybody is training. There's carriers where nobody's trained. Yeah. And then also there's as far as estimating goes, like it really varies. Like every you know every every loss is different, and every city is different. Yeah. So it, it really just kind of as far as those, but as far as like the desk reviewers go, yeah, it, it really depends on the carrier. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I find, and, and I think that there's a lot of things that in the, in the mitigation world, like I don't, I'm not privy to, like I don't see the reviews that you guys, that you guys get. So I, I think that we might be, we're getting it like we're getting different sides of the company. Right. Yeah. But at the same time as an independent adjuster, I am, I'm also put in a position where I'm going to write a sheet and then often I have to defend it. Right. And that's where the similarities lie. Um, yeah. Well, that's what, um, I mean, we've talked about that on this podcast and you and I have talked about that. And that was, you know, some of our initial conversations, of course, I wrote an estimate and I saw it this way. You wrote an estimate in, um, like I've told many people, you know, 
ours were probably the closest. You think you're from the line of adjusters that have been in the field, learned it and want to do right by the client. Right. And, um, and so you have an understanding of how things get taken apart and come together, you know, through your years of experience, but Dale, power tools. Dale, no power tools. Oh, what? No power tools. That is not your toothbrush. In the, there's the claims review where it's trying to find an accurate assessment and put a strategy together to put it back. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. And so you got the client, the carrier, the carrier rep, which would be the adjuster, and then the contractor. And those parties, our job is to put that client back to pre-loss conditions, right? No more, no less. So if you're doing more, that's fraud. If you're doing less, you're shortchanging the client, right? So obviously there's a lot of gray area in there, but, and that was a conversations that we would have is help me defend this. If, you know, if we're seeing this so differently, what am I missing? And then vice versa, you would say, I understand what you're trying to accomplish, but if you use this, this, and this, that'll work with this carrier, right? And especially when we first met, you were working with travelers. So you were very, very familiar with, okay, this is what my boss will approve. And this is what they won't approve. And sometimes it's weird, you know, and sometimes it makes sense. Um, but I guess maybe in that broader context, I think that's the value here is um, how do maybe how do um, contractors, what do you see as some of the most common mistakes maybe contractors make? Um, and I know you can say that from two different perspectives. I don't know if that's two categories, you know, if you're working for somebody that works directly for the carrier and somebody that's an independent, uh, that might be two different things, but what are some of the common mistakes you see that really, you know, the big, the big ones. And I honestly, like, I forgot what I wrote down, but here's the one that's popping into my mind right now is, well, I don't know. I mean, when we talk about contractors, are we talking about, restoration contractors that do this every single day or are we talking about um i deal yeah. more with, uh, i i deal more with like the, the the general contractor that does a couple water losses a year he does a remodel you know he, he kind of is all over the board well um, i think i would say the majority of the people that listen to this are probably familiar with exactimate and you know the majority of their business is within the insurance world um you know, there's a lot of independent people that are getting away from Xactimate, but everybody kind of understands that vein. So I'd say let's talk to the primarily the, the contractor that focuses in the restoration world and utilizes Xactimate. So, you know, number number one, you got to have notes about what's going on. Yeah. But it's important. Um, I think it's important to not necessarily. I don't know. Like I see, I kind of see the boilerplate notes coming from a mile away. Yeah. So we don't, you don't need a note on everything, but you know, we want to make sure that we know what, you know, we know if there's something that's kind of standing out, we want to know why yeah. we did it. You know, we did this this way. Um, too many labor hours in general is kind of a big one. Yep. Um, too many, and, and the insurance industry has kind of beat that one in there. Everybody, I think like everybody now knows if we're going to use just straight labor hours, like you need a note on 
on why we're going to use that. But also, I've come across, um, you know, one of my favorite stories is I had uh, one of the big restoration contractors in Portland uh, send me a mitigation estimate that was, um, I don't even remember what, I think it was just a house, water loss at a house, and they had 24 labor hours of WTR LAB for their mitigation. Yeah. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Ron, are you paying attention? Nope. Well, this concerns all of us. Okay. (laughs) And if I told you who it was, like, you'd be like, really? Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, and so I wrote it just, I don't know if I had extra time or what, but I wrote it the way that I show them. Yeah. And I and I uh, was higher than they than they are. Yeah, were and I sent it back to them. I'm like, here's you know, if you actually write this correctly, it would save everybody a lot of time and you'd make more money. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because the labor hours are not are not necessarily correct, you know. Um, well, and the labor rates. I mean, that's a big thing in you know our community is getting those labor rates adjusted correctly because you know. <laughs> The labor rates are, are not necessarily um, dead on. Collective. Yeah. But also, um, I see, and I don't, you know, tell me how, if this fits into your, you know, your world, but I also I see, well, I see other contractors who do just like, this isn't an exact, outside of exact, I saw, I see other contractors doing like straight, you know, we just charge 60 bucks an hour straight, yeah. for, right? Like, yeah, that's great, but that doesn't really work for demo. Right. You know, and it also, it doesn't really work for AP, and it doesn't really work for um, electrical either. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yep. it's just not great. And so that, that kind of throws things off. Well, I find so many, like, you know, we, I've worked and counseled and coached, you know, contractors that are transitioning into insurance work. Cause obviously, right. That's where the money is. You know, let's, let's stick it to the insurance companies cause that's where the easy money is. And, and so um, I hear both sides. I hear contractors <laughs> tell me, no, I don't work in insurance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah screw them. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of money. Go out the door. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, I think the hardest is, you know, a lot of general contractors. So, you know, you were working for somebody, you feel like you can make more money. So then that $60 an hour guy, right. You know, they're just thinking, well, $60 an hour is more than I've ever made in my life. And whether they're putting money aside for overhead and profit and taxes and all that, who knows. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just the, you know, the one thing about Xactimate, especially if you're a new contractor, um, starting out in the industry, it's very transparent. You know, and if you start to learn how the line items work, you know, you're constructing from the bottom up, you know, re-putting that, that loss together. And then that's like a company I'm working with here locally. Then you can print out a rough materials list as well as like a, a projected labor, you know, costs and those kinds of things. You can budget a lot better than somebody that's just putting in, you know, line item labor, estimated materials. Um, I mean, in construction in general, a lot of people are not great at estimating, right? And so Xactimate can be a starting place for... Which it doesn't... And I like I, I, I see that all the time, but it doesn't... My What I say all the time is just because you can't estimate doesn't mean that you're a bad craftsman. Yeah. yeah. It just means you're not... 
you know, not good at putting pen to paper and guessing. Right. What is right. Awesome. And insurance company wants you to guess up front. Right. Right. Never really know. Yeah. Well, and that's the other part too, is um, it is an estimate, right? So we think this is what it will take. And, you know, we put all kinds of notes in our estimates, like subject to discovery upon additional damages. But then, you know, that how many, how many, and maybe you can speak to this, how many contractors are like, well, it costs a whole lot more to do it than we thought. Okay. Where are your photos? You know, do you have any kind of justification to show? Well, we fixed it, you know, let's figure it out. You know, yeah. Yeah. Not, not in the world. Like as long as we can show everything, like the insurance company has the money to pay for it. Let's just, yeah. Yeah. But if you, if it costs more because you're not good at being a contractor, then that's a different, you know, that's. Uh, well, like you said, some people are great craftsmen, just not great paperwork people. Right. You know, and it really isn't that hard. Take a couple of damn pictures and write a couple of notes on, keep track of how many hours did you spend on that, you know, or how many linear feet of base extra did you have to buy? You know, it was a lot, you know, well, how much? Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I A couple of things. Like I also see uh, local guys here in Portland who will, um, you know, write. I, I literally saw an estimate the other day that, well, this goes back to the labor hours. Like they, they used the appropriate line items and then added labor hours yeah. back in uh, for everything that they had a line item for. Yeah. Which basically doubled their estimate for no, for no reason. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So I call them and I'm like, look, you know, this is, you know, it's, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's just kind of silly. Like why are we, if we can use one or the other, but you can't do it twice. Right. They, you know, they it was a sheet of drywall and some 150 square feet of carpet that was pulled back to dry basement. Clean water ran for a couple hours. Yeah. Not a lot of. It's a it's probably a two thousand dollar mitigation estimate that they, you know, it was eight grand when they sent it over. To oh, me. nice. Yeah, just fluff. And, yeah, just fluff. And and so I call them and I'm like, look, you know, this is a little excessive. Here's kind of as as benevolent as I can possibly be and I was yeah. closer to three and they're like okay that's fun yeah like really come yeah. on like you're absolutely wasting my time you completely pissed off the homeowner who's a contractor yeah it, there's like, an unnecessary like uh, variance right right and why why because right because an insurance company is going to knock you down anyways. Right. They don't, nec they don't necessarily like I, yeah. I, I write estimates all the time. Yeah. Like if, it's, if it's correct and, and you know, pretty much there, no problem. Let's just, let's just get it moving forward. You know? Well, I learned, I learned that too, like crawl space losses, right? You know, I would typically we would write them as labor and then you start looking and exactivate and there's like cubic footage, um, or yeah, cubic footage calculations for the water. So you take the dimensions of the crawl, how high the water was, and then you add on your pump truck or those kind of charges and your decontamination, then your upgraded PPE, and all of a sudden you have a pretty good estimate. It just takes getting into the line items, right? Actually looking into, you know, I think that's a great example, like you said, where they just put 24 hours of WTR labor. And like, in my mind, instantly you're thinking like you've got your equipment and then there's WTREQ, 
which is a legitimate labor line item related to equipment, right? So that's even a fraction there. You know, you yeah. change it. It's just very basic understanding of how the line items are structured and, and assigning those, you know, to yeah. your... Just, um, if you just it, yeah, it, get it right, then it can it tends to tends to work out. Yeah. One, um, you know, I know a lot of people are big proponents of, like you mentioned, the Xactimate level one, two, and three. Um, you said Travelers kind of gave you basically a training that you feel was uh, 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 equal with level two. Had you ever pursued actually getting Xactimate certified or? I had a, a carrier ask me to get level two certified last year and I like I looked at it. I'm like I, I already know all this. And yeah, I, I I basically said no, no thanks. Well, do you, like, is that do you ever have people throw that at you? I am a level three Xactivate certified. It's like okay, congratulations. Right, exactly. But it doesn't teach you what it teaches you how to use that software. It doesn't teach you right. what, like going on in right. in the market. Right, uh, which is different. Well, and I think your notes, which are um, I've incorporated into the book, is um, one of the things you recommend is like just get out there and walk a loss, right? Go out there when the registration contractor is doing mitigation and see what it takes to take something apart. And you mentioned even tinkering around your house, right? You're you've got a house <laughs> and you start doing some tile and you know property would be required to like own a home. Yeah. Do me. Yep. Yep. Because you you figure out like how long things actually take. Well, um, you mentioned the the I mean the nemesis of Xactimate is a drywall patch, right? There's a what is the patch line item now? Is I think it's up to like 185 or maybe it's 285 or that's the minimum. But you know it's the worst when you have just the small section of drywall and that's all that needs to be repaired because everyone knows, you know what it takes to get that back to where you can't see it, you know, is it takes some skill, you know, drywall takes a lot of skill. A drywall guy, every single time you talk to them, they're like, Oh yeah, I can match that. No problem. Right. Yeah. That's easy. Like, I can match that. They're a contractor. Every time you talk to them, we'll say, no, they got, you got to skim the whole ceiling. Right. Yeah. 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 It's just a matter of, it's, it's the matter of somebody, you know, the, the, the general contractor has to stand behind you know what what yeah. their work product the drywall guy has a layer between them and the homeowner i suppose yeah well but if you hired if you hired a handyman well i mean you can get different levels but i mean you're you're talking 250 minimum you know to have somebody come out and do a drywall patch because it does it's going to take two or three trips i don't i used to, i cut my teeth when i started my company helping electricians you know you put a new box in uh, a new panel in and they're always smaller than the old one um, so I got real good with five minute mud you know but yeah. you know that's also in a closet you know it's not usually right out in the middle of the hallway so there's some give and take you know with the homeowner and the contractor saying I'll get it done I'll get it done in one day but you got to understand you know this isn't going to be the best you know so but there's some tricky textures out there too so <laughs> I don't, I think, uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it was, it was very, um, uh, encouraging working with you because you knew 
uh, the industry, right? You know, and, and you've listened and worked with contractors. Um, and I think that's probably why, you know, you still have a career in the, in the industry, but you you play both sides of the fence. And I think that's, I mean, at the end of the day, obviously there's characters, there's bad characters in both, right? There's terrible contractors, there's terrible adjusters, but for the most part, people are just trying to do their job and go home and enjoy their families. Right. For the most part. That so, is that. And, from an adjuster standpoint, um, you know, they, they really just want to, they're, they're trying to justify, you yeah. know, what they're for. Right. Yeah. And they, they, if it's an exactimate, if it's a straight line item from exactimate, nobody ever really questions it. Right. Because exactimate already has done all of that uh, research for you. Right. So, yeah, I mean, so that's, that's, if I'm putting myself in the position of all, all adjusters, it's kind of, you know, if it's proven exactimate, that makes it so much easier. Right. Than anything else. And, um, you know, anything kind of outside the norm, too many things outside the norm kind of make it, make it, make it difficult and throw up, throw right. up. Right. There's also, you know, you see labor mint, not labor mints, but uh, obscure base service charges pop up in the back. That's another yeah. one. That, yeah. That's kind of a big deal. I mean, those, those you can have a thousand dollars worth of obscure base service charges at the end of your estimate, which make the difference between the sheet that I wrote and the sheet that the contractor wrote. Right. And then also the other big one that I deal with is often contractor. And this is less exactimate specific right but contractors that don't work in the industry often um they they want to kind of cover their butt yeah like you know because they don't realize that you can have a supplement and and the whole thing right so their estimates you know generally you know 20 percent higher because of because of the unknowns um i get it it's just not how we have to estimate but this this may be um, a question you can't answer, but uh, and we can edit it if we need to. But I've always taught people that I work with, you the job of an adjuster is to justify their job, just like my job is to justify my job, right? So if you have an as an adjuster, if part of the game is part of the game is you know cutting things that are unnecessary, I would put into my estimate things that I knew were low hanging fruit you know, almost for the sake of making it like the adjuster can feel like they did something. I don't know if that's the wrong way to think about it, but we did a lot of program work. So it's almost like if you're not getting rejected, you're not trying hard enough. Right? Nice try. No correction. Terrible try. <laughs> you know, so and like some- work, that's a weird thing for me because that program work is almost a competitor to me as an IA. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and, and I don't, I don't deal with the programs at all. They drive me nuts because from a, from a, from a straight insurance standpoint, if they're taking, if they're giving you a job and then they're going to take 10% back or whatever they, yeah. they charge for their fees, then, yeah, their fees, then, then the price is not act. If, if, if they're charging you for something like then you, then you have to overcharge to make up that fee because they're not, yeah. 
it just is not. Well, but um, I think Travelers was part of Contractor Connection, so we had that sometimes where we got the loss maybe through, sometimes we got it as a referral and sometimes we got it through the program and then you're the adjuster. So that's always helpful in the program where you can say the reviewer is like cutting 20 things, right? And then you say, no, adjuster Kirk Matthews said, <laughs> you know, these are approved and appropriate because he's actually been to the loss, you know, and that was always now, sweet. I never dealt with contractor connection. Like, I don't know. I don't know the first thing about him. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, it, dealing with them directly. What the, the one that's really odd to me is um, when you're working, you know, now you're independent. When you go to a loss that you're sent as a program contractor, but they've also, the carrier has also sent an independent adjuster. So now you got an independent adjuster's estimate, your estimate that you're required to upload that goes to a reviewer. And even if your estimate is the same as the independent adjuster's estimate, it's still getting rejected by the reviewer. And all along, the carrier's gone through the program to try to save them money and expedite the process, but they've, they've not just duplicated, it's now triplicate, right? There's like triple review. Um, so, and they pay all those people, any amount that they saved. Yeah, it's gone. I mean, they've, they've now, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's one program in particular, most restoration contractors know who I'm talking about, that it's 40 to 50% cut minimum. But you know that program, they're charging that or more for this review. So at the end, the contractor or the carrier would be better off dealing directly with the contractor. They're paying the same amount, if not more. There's just an additional layer, you know, that's uh, in between them. So I don't know, man. It, but it drive, it, The programs drive me nuts. Time to hit the pause. Time to hit the rewind. We're going to play you an excerpt from our last episode of the Dojo Podcast. I was so fortunate to find, um, you know, this book, Organizational Physics, The Science of Growing a Business by Lex Sisney. So, <laughs> the Dojo Podcast. Is there a follow-up book to Organizational Physics? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on a, a, a book right now, and uh, I'm not sure what the title is, but uh, that should be out in 2021. 20, uh, okay. I'm looking forward to getting that out there. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. What's your process? Do you try to write every day or do you write as you get inspired or you're a structure guy? So I'm assuming you have a discipline. You know, some of us are motivated by the positive yep. and others by the negative. Sure. And uh, I have a commitment to write uh, every day mm -hmm. for a certain amount of time, yeah, five days a week, or I have to do a donation to a politician I just dis despise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I haven't missed a day of writing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, uh, you know? That's awesome. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you so mentioned. I, yeah. If, and anyway, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being sincere, but also joking around a little bit. It's like we have to sometimes come up yeah. with tricks, that work, hard work that we might not ordinarily want to do, but you just got to grind it sometimes. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Seth Godin. I have no memory of this place. And I then started to kind of write, write the book. And uh, I remember I was in a conversation with Seth Godin. I sent him a draft. And he's like, this is some really amazing... Uh, concepts here but you have yeah. like five, five books here in one 
every bestseller has to only really have one key concept. Huh. He goes, what do you want this book to do? You want it to be a bestseller or do you, you like be a tool for your consulting practice? And I was really clear I needed it to be a tool for my consulting practice and the way yeah. I, I, you know, I think in kind of very sequential way. And so that the book was just born out of that. Yeah. To teach these concepts uh, in my consulting work. I remember um, reading some of his stuff early on. He's like, if you want to be a writer, write every day. And, yeah. uh, and, 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 and his thing was too, you know, of course, when you start out writing, it's going to be terrible, you know. Nice try. No, correction. Terrible try. <laughs> and it's going to be awful. But if that, if that boat is, you know, if you're in motion, you can refine it and get feedback and, and change things. And so, well, you know, my son and I were talking about that just yesterday. Like the, the fear of failure is almost, is worse than failure because failure can actually learn from and adapt like you mentioned, whereas if you're fearful and you don't do anything, you you have nothing to improve. Yeah. By, by definition, failure is feedback. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, so to to go back to my question, do you do you believe that low hanging fruit is helpful? Is that a question you can answer? Um, you know, for, for, for me, I don't, I, I, I don't sweat the low hanging fruit yeah, yeah. for me. Right. Like, yeah, I write, if I write an estimate, I put in there the clean, you know, job site cleanup line item. Yeah. I yep. don't think the carrier is okay with. No. Uh, well, or paint for, uh, masking for paint, you know, is another typical one that, you know, <laughs> most carriers are going to reject. Depends on, depends on what it is. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. I look at every estimate as an individual thing. Yeah. And like yeah. I've been, every estimate that I look at, I've been to that job site. Yeah. Uh, so I probably have a better understanding that, than the guy sitting at a desk there. Is low hanging fruit helpful? I mean, it just, it just feeds the whole, the whole, you know, yeah. monster, which is you, you, you have this low hanging fruit and, and it gives somebody something to chew on. Um, but then it in my mind, at least for the claims reviewer, the person that's got the script of things they gotta reject, to me, in my mind, it makes them feel good, right? And then uh, I get that. It, but it, it's actually I mean it's just covering up though the fact that there's plenty of you know, if there's if you have a hundred line items, yeah, um, you know, thirty thirty three are high, thirty three are low, and thirty three are dead on. Yeah. You know. There are line yeah. items that are high in, in exactly. Yeah. So it just kind of it kind of covers up that fact, you know. We well, always talk, nobody nobody talks about the line items that are too high. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Everybody talks about the line items that are too low. In, yeah. In the in auto repair with insurance companies, when there's a supplement, they ask for invoices. Yeah. For for parts, right? Yeah, and and not for labor, but they ask for invoices for parts, and that hasn't hit property claims yet. Won't surprise me if somebody you know tried to start doing it. Do it. Yeah. Because um, then all of a sudden, like, you're you're you could you could lose money too. Yeah. Yeah. And right now, nobody in property insurance is. You can only ratchet up. You can't ratchet down. Right. You know. Right. And also, like, you could go backwards. Yeah. 
in property claims, like you're only, you're only going up. So that's another, like, it just kind of, a thought that's rattling around in my brain currently is, is that right? Like mm. we don't ever ask, we don't ever ask for somebody to, you know, uh, some, you know, let's get your dump, your dump invoice, your invoice for your dumpsters. You know, I I've had, I've had recently, um, contract or, uh, them asking for that. So there are some, yeah. Let's get your, let's get your, uh, your invoices for your, uh, I don't know, but then your, bid items but then your bid items you know you got contract yeah. that'll give you you know you get uh the high bid and they pay off the low bid and yeah well that that dumpster one doesn't scare me at all though because i would love to if a contractor would keep a excel spreadsheet of you know track your time from the house to the dumpster or the dump truck and then you know, the two guys driving it to the dump, your time in the dump, and then your dump receipt, you know, you're probably not going to make it on the, you know, dumping is actually pretty inexpensive, but all the labor tied to that, you probably would make out better if you tracked your labor and your invoice, and then we're doing 10 and 10 on that. So, um, yeah, exactly like you said, uh, the other part is it comes down to budgeting and the plan of attack, because like we would have, we had really good painters when we were in Eugene, and so typically, I could give them a fraction of the line item, you know, and, and they buy their own paint and they were happy as clams. Um, and then where, and then I could use that a little bit extra to carry over to my drywall, which was usually light. And so you do have to look at it as a whole picture, right? And, and when we start talking about looking at it as a whole picture, that's why I don't sweat the low hanging fruit yeah. for, for personally. Should it be in there? It depends on, depends on what it is, you know? Yeah. Uh, depends on if it's needed in that in that in that estimate right right yeah well like you said sustainable that's, that's why i see it I'm, i i just think that it's an estimate and you got to look at it as a, as a whole yeah um, from an adjuster standpoint too like you you want to make it you want to make it accurate um yeah. and so if we can look at it it's kind of lazy if we can look at it as a whole then that tends to um get the get the claim wrapped up quicker than if we yeah. you know kind of put our thumb on every single thing well like, that tripping um, over dollars to pick up dimes right you know you're you're fighting the wrong battles i think yeah that's uh um you know i think every contractor knows there are still good adjusters out there and um you know sustainable solutions is keeping people you know, that are good in the industry and working with each other. Um, Let me bring you a couple. I'm, I'm, I'm now remembering a couple of things. Everyone, we want to make sure that the, um, that you're, that you're charging for what work was actually done. And, yeah. and that one drives me nuts, right? Yeah. So if you put down, if you, if you charge, and that's really water mitigation, right? And also let's make sure that you're taking the right steps in the mitigation. Yeah. I see, um, you know, day one, somebody setting uh, blowers over a hardwood floor uh, that has lamp that has a particle board underneath it. Yeah. And you're not, you know, while while you're not doing any good. Like, right. Or trying air. to, you're, we tried to salvage the laminate. I was always funny for me as a restorer, we get the call like my hardwood floors, you go out there, they're pergo, right? <laughs> like, uh, we're not saving these. <laughs> Why should I trust you? You are just, you're the worst president we've ever had. 
President Davidson, don't call me again. Don't you understand? I've done enough for this country. I have to, it's time for me to have a break and have vacation. <laughs> they are not going to, they are not going to get saved. Set up a DU and then, and then do your thing, you yeah. know? Yep. Yep. Well, and that, a lot of people have talked about, I know that probably carries more over when you were in the, um, the captive realm, you know, contact the insurance companies, get them on the horn, right? Talk to, if you know, this is travelers and you know, one of the travelers adjusters, like, Hey, are you on this claim? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's like, you're talking about, you go out, you stabilize and the big ticket items, you want to make sure somebody signed off on it before you start ripping into it. Cause you don't want to put the client or yourself in a position where who's paying for this, you know? So just be transparent with the process. Well, we've taken a lot of your time, man. You've been very generous. Is there any other simple tips or simple things to stay away from that uh, help make the relationship with an adjuster, you know, more agreeable? Here's what I'm, here's what I'm working on currently. Anybody that's anybody that's had, I don't know that you and I have ever had a a negative conversation, right? But I, I have no problem pairing into somebody. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, like you and I maybe have never crossed that bridge, but Nuh-uh. like I, I definitely will tell somebody exactly what I think about, you know, what's, what's going on. And yeah. I am, I am attempting to, and, and I'll be salty. Like I, I'm better than that, it, but like it can I, escalate. Yeah. I will be salty with somebody. Right. Yeah. And if there's uh provocation, provocation, like I will, I will, I will cut. <laughs> um, and then, and then I'll make everything more difficult. Yeah. 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 I should, right? But like sometimes, yeah. sometimes you catch me at the wrong moment and like, here's what I'm working on. Uh, nobody's perfect. Everybody wants to be built up a little bit. Right. And like, everybody wants to like build these, build these relationships within, within the industry. And I'm like, I am attempting to start off, like every interaction about an estimate that's written where I know that I'm going to need to cooperate a little bit. I'm attempting to start out with some sort of compliment or kind of like some sort of pep talk on how we're going to work. this right. Set the expectation. Like set the expectation about the relationship. Right. Okay. And I think that um, contractors can probably um, contractors, you know, adjusters are, are, are not, necessarily they're not they're usually pretty smart people yeah um however any any sort of um you know negative interaction is probably coming from a a place of um, insecurity and it's coming from a place of like i don't know what it takes to actually do drywall or i i didn't right when i first started so if i'm if i have some sort of like um you know, negative um, initial reaction. It's usually just because I don't know what I'm talking about. Sure. And we could all we could all probably do a better job of asking questions and realizing that the other person that we're dealing with is, you know, doing the best that they possibly can and not trying, you know, rip everybody off. There are right. plenty. There are plenty of people that are are just trying to hit a home run on every single job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's that's pretty rare frankly yeah um we all should um you know just try to try to uh work together and have it have it be a positive experience so that's something that i am 
I am trying to do is kind of just bring a, a, a smidge of goodwill to everybody. Yeah. I like that. To try to start the conversation off positive, but also lay down kind of the groundwork. Like, Hey, this is, I'm, I'm a direct, like I'm a direct person. It's yep. just it's how I am. Right. And, yep. But I, but also like I've learned through the years that it's, you know, um, I'm not, at least the first time I ask, it's going to be, I'm having a hard time justifying like this. What am I yep. missing? Yep. You know, what, what am I missing here? It yep. seems, you know, Xactimate isn't anywhere close and, and, you know, is it the, is it the time or the materials and right. where, you know, yep. and pinpoint that one thing and, and figure it out and then pinpoint the next thing and figure it out. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Xactimate is a cookie cutter program, right? It's designed for the ranch style home, the simple loss, you know? And so, you know, when it, it, it veers outside of or it goes into that custom arena, you've got to figure out ways to communicate that. And right. sometimes there aren't line items for it. So then how do you, you know, communicate that and hopefully work with the adjuster to come to an agreement on this is a plan of attack, you know, so. And also a phone call is better than an email. Yeah. You can get people yeah. because emails, you know, for an adjuster sitting at a desk in an office, they yeah. read your email exactly how they read the email, the previous email. So if they yeah. got their ass chewed on the previous email, yeah, you're yeah. gonna read the email the same with the same tone, right? Know? Yep. Phone call and a little bit of chat uh, will will get along, gets everybody a long ways. And contractors all too often think that adjusters kind of like have all this control over the situation and power. Yeah. <laughs> Like we, I hear that. I'm like, no, you, I mean, you guys are, you're the professionals. You're the ones that need to get down and we're just going to make sure the price is right. Yeah. Yeah. When you boil it down, that's, that's, that's what, that's what we're doing. Yep. We just want to make sure that everything's fair, but you got, you know, I'm not the one doing the work. You're right. You got done. And what I think that's what tips the scales, right? It's, it's, you know, the adjuster or the carrier, right? the client and the contractor and it's a paradigm. Everybody has responsibilities. I think too often contractors, you know, absolve when you show up on the loss and like your insurance company is going to pay for everything. You don't have to pay for anything other than your deductible. This is going to be great. That's the wrong expectation. You know, they have responsibility as well. And then, you know, it's not just you write an estimate and the adjuster better approve it or else, you know, <laughs> and then there's plenty of adjusters. that's like, yeah, you're, you're not God brother, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, but man, I appreciate your time. Hopefully this is helpful to some people. Like you said, um, I think we had, we had some cookie cutter losses and we had some, I remember the last one we had was trying to pinpoint, um, you know, where a leak was coming from, from a pretty complex roof system. That was just before you, do you remember that one? Just before you left uh, Travelers? I couldn't tell if it was the skylights or the peak and I don't remember. three different roofs that had all been replaced in kind of a different span of time. And so, you know, coming up with a strategy and it definitely did not fit Xactimate because there's some exploratory work and, you know, what was covered, what wasn't covered. And then that whole conversation, hey, we'll do the exploration, but if it's determined that it's this or this, then this isn't covered. <laughs> and so, um, which was, you know. Exploratory is covered, though. Yeah. And so, but that was, um, 
you know, that was a good example of setting the expectation up front. And that one took forever to, to dive into, but, um, you know, cause, uh, yeah, well, I think you and I walked it first and then it, and then it, um, obviously it was handed off to your supervisor. <laughs> um, so, sorry. yeah, but, uh, but uh, that, you know, it can be, it is possible. And I think a lot of restoration contractors know that, but sometimes allow the bad experiences to, to shade the, the possibilities. And, uh, you know, everybody's got a job to do and respect each other. And I think, like you said, the saltiness, you know, that's been my approach too, is like, if somebody wants to escalate, you know, we'll play the game, you know, <laughs> we'll make this, you know, unenjoyable if we have to, but uh, <laughs> Not the goal <laughs> it's so much easier when you don't right yeah yep yep it's so much easier on everybody yep so well good man thank you so much kirk and uh glad to see you're healthy healthy and wealthy right rolling in the dough that's how adjusters roll one of them <laughs> right. well, that's a a wrap it that's a wrap we had a civil conversation with somebody from the other side um i think you know for a lot of restorers we talk about you know the good old days and i think i really do you know one of the things that i enjoyed starting out in the industry is the relationships that you can build with customers and clients and even adjusters right so there's a difference between the desk adjusters that um, never see a loss and the adjusters that go out in the field and maybe have had, you know, they see it, they, it's a different thing, right? I mean, we try um, through photographs and, you know, now you have things like Matterport and 3D cameras, walkthrough videos, those kinds of things. We really try to relate the story of the loss, the whole five senses of the loss, and but it's, it's so much different being on site than you know even a well-written estimate or um, good photos or good videos and so it's difficult because with the heavier emphasis on third-party administrators and program work and uh, remote estimating you know especially now with um, COVID um, establishing the right mindset and habits for yourself and your team is key, which coincidentally is the byline for the book we're working on, Be Intentional Estimating, um, but helping yourself and your team succeed with estimating property insurance claims. So if you are new to the industry and you're wanting to explore your career opportunities, estimating and Xactimate is a lot of where it comes down to. I mean, that's how we... For the majority of claims in the insurance paradigm, you know, that's the tool that people understand. And so, um, you know, if you want to advance getting to know that, um, if you're an estimator, project manager, understanding that writing your estimate in such a way that it can be executed as a project management tool is key. You know, you if we spend, I was talking to a restoration contractor and they're asking like, what's one piece of advice that would help get the projects going, you know, quicker, more efficiently. And I really think we spend so much time in our estimates that if you're already spending this time, treat it as though you're writing a document both to communicate to the estimator and something that can be uh, passed down line 
to your production team, your project managers and foremans and those kinds of things, and the technicians that are going to carry out the work, um, even your subcontractors, as though it's a, a an outline of how the project's supposed to be executed. You know, you're already there, so think through it all the way. And so, let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. So, because uh, so many restoration contractors use estimator project managers, kind of interchangeable, right? So, mindset habits is key. And part of that is, um, you know, paying attention when the adjusters are talking, you know, like thinking through what they're asking you to do. Um, you know, so on, on the production side, if you spend that much more time in your estimate, you can expedite the process on the back end. Um, and another contractor we were talking to had um, seemingly somewhat innocuous like uh, revisions. But I, you know, and they were looking at it so optimistically, I said, you know, be careful, think about precedence, right? And so when you're dealing with adjusters, you know, um, know what the line items mean and how they read. And when they're asking you to do something that's um, part of the program, you know, that's a legitimate pushback, right? It doesn't have to be a battle, but say, you know, actually, um, adjuster, please review X and advise. And always, you know, it's good. You can position it in the in the form of a question as opposed to, you know, coming out and attacking somebody's intelligence. And so um, there's just different ways that you can go about it. So Kirk does mention um, he's got a couple of spots in the book, um, you know, talking about to, you know, just things that show bad habits which is you know too many labor hours it's just laziness close enough line items you know where you're not actually you know looking at what the line item description is too wordy in um, explanations um, I'm a big fan of I think people take a look at the estimate opening statement have some kind of breakdown of hey this is the the narrative of the loss uh, good F9 notes and then great photos with uh, you know um, with them labeled appropriately um, and then Kirk talks about inserting your own pricing without an explanation or justification for the alteration. You know, it's just like just hoping somebody won't notice, even though it green lines, you know, and exactimates. So I wanted to be a magician. A lot of listeners and some of our contributors, you know, are big proponents of being independent, and that's great. But you still have to create relationships and be collaborative, right, and sustainable solutions. So, you know, explain what you're doing. Um, overuse of energized terms such as microbial growth. <laughs> there was a recent um, discussion on one of the Facebook groups, and it's you know people trying to extrapolate and, and find justifications for things, categories that um, don't seem to line up. You know, so be accurate. You know, if if you gotta build trust, um, obviously there's some people that are really difficult to work with, and it's a battle, but. Um, building trust long term is going to help you more you know so every now and again giving back you know can can build you trust for those longer term or those bigger losses where you legitimately have an ask right so it's a give and take it should be a give and take if it's a relationship you know it should be mutually beneficial right um in so far as it can be and so um, and that's one of Kirk's closing comments was too much ego. Everyone makes a mistake. No need to drag someone through the mud due to an error. These estimates are intricate and errors happen. You know, so give somebody some grace on both sides, right? We're asking adjusters and contractors, you know, you know, try to find um, mutual ground. And so uh, pretty interesting. Um, 
you know, it, it Kirk for me professionally is the kind of person that makes, you know, the industry still enjoyable, you know, and so um, finding those ways to do that. So I mentioned in the opening the article we have with um, insurance uh, nerds uh, on the, the role of the workplace in elevating justice. If you have thoughts on that, I would love to hear them. You know, um, you can find us on LinkedIn, the website, all the social medias, uh, you know, uh, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, that kind of thing. So, um, and uh, love to hear your feedback and interact. And uh, we got some guests coming up, some exciting ones. We've got, uh, um, I've been having some trouble with some of the audio and the internet, the interwebs working. So some of them might have to be re-recorded. We've got some more Pro versus Joe stuff coming down the pipe. And uh, we'll get that out there. So thank you for listening to... This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard.